Good morning, everybody. We're in a series that's called Ecclesia, Future Church. And uh, if you've missed some of these uh, installments, you can go back and you can listen to them. But it's exciting to talk about the church from the book of Acts, and we are walking through the book, and we are reading about the patterns and that which has been established and the things that God is teaching us for today. It's a picture of us now, the future church. And I'd like to welcome everybody that's joined us online. It's great to have you here with us uh, joining in this. God bless you. And everyone that watches this and hears this in the days ahead, may God use it to bless your life. You know, um, the church is the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And my grandson is teaching me something. He's turned two in June. And um, I told my granddaughters that are here today, I said, I'm gonna, I'll tell a story about him. I won't talk about you, you know. Anyways, um, he, uh, he does something that blesses my heart. We'll be just in the middle of playing. You know, he doesn't talk a whole lot right now. He's a few words coming out, and sometimes you don't know what he's saying but he's got a few little words, simple words. And he, he does this. He'll just interrupt the moment of play and he'll stop and he'll look you in the eyes and he'll go, hi. Hi. And it blesses my heart because when we go out and we're in the grocery store or we're somewhere in town or we're about or whatever, hi. You know what, take that home as a lesson. It's kind of simple. Do that, put a great huge smile on your face because you have a ton to smile about. Somebody say amen. In other words, you agree. You have a ton to smile about. And then don't do the, don't, don't do the queen wave. Do the, hi. Hi, I don't go for a walk, go in the store, do whatever, hi. You know what, let's, let's just, let's bring some, some joy. Let's bring what we're happy about to people. You'd be surprised how often people wanna talk to you and engage with you simply because you have a smile on your face and you're interested and you're going for it with them. So cool, it's so cool. Well, I wanna, I wanna jump into the word of God here today and I want to uh, name this message today, Hope for humanity. Thank you, Paul, for sharing there today because you're giving a snapshot of life and humanity. We all have a humanity. And uh, I, I, I grabbed a couple verses out of Romans, just an introduction to my readings in, in the book of Acts today. And uh, I'm going to read to you Romans 8, verse 3 in the message, and then Romans 8, 29 to 30 in the message. And it says this, and Eugene Peterson uh, took, took the, the versions and he, he wrote this out. It's really, really good the way it's written here. He says, God went for the juggler when he sent his own son. In other words, we're talking full on, absolute business. This is, this is, this is live or die stuff. This is the absolute and I'm going for it. And he didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In, in his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition and entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. That's God's plan to set it right, he's gonna deal with our humanity. You have a humanity. 
It says in Romans 8, 29 to 30, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son, Jesus. The son stands first in the line of humanity that God restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him, in Jesus. And after God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. You have a name. You're identified. He knows you personally. And his son is the model and the shape of that, that which we become like. Did I finish reading that? No, I didn't. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Fortunate for us that God is in the restoration business. He is in the transformation business and through Jesus transforms us. And the church, the church of the future, in other words, today, you and your lives, you are a transformational movement that is full of people whose humanity is being transformed. You were transformed and you're being transformed and you will ultimately completely transformed one day. You see, we are authentically church when we're most aligned to the original, his son his word, his church that he defines and articulates clearly for her, us in the book of Acts. We don't, we don't need to invent some kind of brand new ministry that fits our culture. We simply have to retrieve, okay, and recover the ministry that has already been revealed and given to us. You see, culture needs an alternative to its own echo. It needs to be delivered. There are so many people, and you know of them, and they're called the nuns and they're called the duns. The nuns are those that have no religious affiliation whatsoever, and you don't want them necessarily just to be religious, but to know a Jesus and have a relationship with God through him. And then there's the duns. And some of you, some of you are here that you were done and you're like, wait a minute, why did I give up? Why did I throw in the towel? Why did I stop serving God? Why did I walk away from the church? How did I become so, so um, upset or so um, uh, saddened or affected by whatever I was seeing experiences that I gave up on God's original plan? The church, his body, his family. And people say, I'm done, I'm done. I'm done with that. God's not done with you. God's not done with you. And he has a plan. It's a beautiful plan. And our humanity doesn't like a lot of things. Our humanity needs to be worked on. We're gonna read in the book of Acts that humanity, the authentic humanity, gets exposed right away and God didn't hide it from us. I wanna jump right into the book of Acts in Acts 15 and my first point is this, is that humanity's authentic imperfections are used by God. You say, oh, really, is that right? Yes. Regardless of you, God's gonna continue to work because his word is truth and it will continue to carry through what God has set out for it to do in your life and the lives of others. Yes? Amen. Amen. So in spite of us, and yet God has a design to change and shape and transform our humanity into the likeness of his son Jesus. It's, 
There's real authentic imperfections, and I love the authentic imperfections of leaders in the book of Acts. Look at what it says in Acts 15, 36 to 40. On one, we start out with a great big, great big disagreement. I love it. It's great. It's just what happens. It's normal life. If you've been married for a few years, you probably have had disagreements, maybe even sharp ones. Look what it says here. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Seems a good thing to do. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and he left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and that place, strengthening the churches. Wow, there's a whole lot that's revealed right in here and that great man, some of the greatest leaders of the time, like the forefront leaders of the New Testament, they're in disagreement. Highly influential men. Even the best people that you know of disagree at times. And our real authentic humanity gets revealed in the middle of the conflict. The fact that we're human is probably why we conflict so much and we get into disagreements. And so the church, you would look at this and go, well, did the church go through a rough patch? You know, like, you know, or did people kind of fold their hands and say, forget it. You know, if I can't follow Paul and Barnabas, I mean, look at this, they, they aren't even sticking together. Forget it, I'm done, I'm done, I'm finished. It's like, really? You would throw the towel in that fast? Now, we don't find that, actually, we find out that they, they made a decision, they parted company, and, and the believers commended them to the work of God, and all of a sudden we got two missions that are going on instead of one. So in spite of this disagreement, something was happening. But you see, Paul felt that Mark's leaving prior in his previous experiences of literally leaving them or abandoning them in a place called Persia revealed maybe a defect or a defect in his character from Paul's perspective. Paul had a perspective and Paul felt he couldn't trust him. And therefore, uh, probably if Paul couldn't trust him, I don't know how effective John Mark really would have been under Paul's ministry and leadership. So it is an issue. And then we have Barnabas, however, who wants to give his cousin, uh, John Mark, and, and I, don't, I don't, you know, think this was nepotism or anything here, but he wanted to give him another chance. He, he saw his future potential. Who was right and who was wrong? I know who was wrong here. No, you don't. You don't get to know. They didn't get to know. It wasn't like this little angel going, went and landed on Paul's shoulder and said, Paul, you're actually the one right here. Barnabas is the run wrong. Or a little, you know, a little voice that came to Barnabas. You're right, Paul's a little, but just leave it, let it go. No, no, no. Who's right and who's wrong? This is some of the things that we wrestle with and we think, well, one has to be wrong in a conflict. Or is it maybe God is exposing their humanity and God is willing to use them and in spite of the humanity, even the people around them are having to say, wait a minute, God's in charge. It's his church. 
Who says these are bad people now because they disagree? You see, strong disagreement is not hatred either. And I'll bring this home for us, and it's that is that the person you're in conflict with, the person you're in conflict with is way more important than the conflict. The person has more value than your need to be right. You do life, your flaws, your failures are gonna be exposed. Your humanity is gonna be exposed. Your weaknesses are gonna be exposed. If you just even flow together like this and be the church. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And guess what? In the middle of that, why does it say that? It's because you're gonna be exposed to Mitch's humanity. You're gonna be exposed to your leader's humanity. You're gonna be exposed to your own hum humanity in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of your relationships, in your home groups, and in your Bible studies, and all these various things and the ministries that you do and serve and out in your community everywhere. God has a plan. God is more committed to our sanctification revealing, then revealing that we are right and the other party is wrong. You see, we, he didn't do it there and he doesn't do it now. He doesn't say to me, well, Mitch, you're right. He, he's wrong, she's wrong. You're more right. Now I wanna say I'm more right. Our pride can't handle that. The voice of the Holy Spirit, you're right. No, he, you see, he's looking for something out of us. He's looking for our humanity to be changed. And these are God opportunities for us to humble ourselves and experience sanctification, the process that allows both parties to be made holy and to learn righteousness. In other words, God's right ways. It's true. Barnabas showed tremendous character because Barnabas was... Barnabas taught Paul. Barnabas raised Paul. Barnabas, he could have thrown his weight around, but he didn't. He didn't put Paul down. They didn't hate each other. They disagreed sharply. I don't think we should do this because of this, and I think we should do this because of that. Who's right and who's wrong? Listen, it's interesting that Paul grew up through this process as well. Not only did Barnabas' character get challenged, but Paul, Apostle Paul's character got challenged. We find out that later on, okay, uh, in this situation, he learned grace and forgiveness because later on he commended Barnabas. Later on he commended uh, John Mark as being very useful in his ministry when he was even talking later on to Timothy about, well, this person let me down, but John Mark is very useful. It's interesting how time can heal and how in that process that we're being made whole in restoration because we humble ourselves and let God work on us, the change comes about. But what do you do when your trusted leaders disagree? What do you do when trusted leaders disagree? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna trust God or are you gonna believe that they, are, they have also flawed, they, they haven't arrived and they're not perfect? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Do you, do you as children give up on your parents when you see them arguing and, 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 and having a disagreement and, and it's, it's not a whole lot of happiness in the house that day? No, 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 it's not an exit plan. It's actually, a, it's a together plan. It's we and it's normal and it's part of being authentic 
and real. It's part of life. There is so much propagated, so much anger and, and, and uh, things that are being propagated about authority today, let alone. You know, like so much disrespect toward authority and, and, and pray, for, pray for the police. Pray for those that are in the RCMP and those that are in our local police departments. You say, well, why is everybody painted with the same brush when you have a few bad apples? Well, that humanity does that, but that's not accurate. Oh, there can be some really bad apples, just like there can be some really bad apple leaders that are really bad apples. But are they humble? Are they owning mistakes? Are they pressing on? Are they, are they making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace? And they made, Paul and Barnabas made a decision, just press forward, we'll go that way, I'll go that way, take these guys in. And they were getting sanctified. I wanna leave it with you, is that if you mess up in ministry or in life, don't ever feel like you can't get back in the game. Don't ever conclude that. Remember, it's never too late to reconnect with someone that you've let down. I don't know about you, but we've all failed someone in our past at one time or another. It's never too late. It's never too late to forgive someone who let you down. We've all failed people. My past mistakes, your past mistakes, you've heard this before, they don't define your future. They don't define your future. What you do today will. And if you make a mistake, humble yourself. Ask God to forgive you. Get up again. Though a righteous man falls down, righteous woman, they get up again. Because they're righteous men and women. Because they know God's word. And they say, God, forgive me. I'm moving on. I am not moving out. I'm stepping up. So, your humanity, your authentic imperfections are inevitable. Inevitable. Get over it. You have to get over it. God didn't change his mind or his plans about you. But, humbly look in the mirror to learn. Say, Lord, what are you teaching me here? Point number two, as we move along in the book of Acts, because it's continually flowing here and this and this way and everything, we go from disagreement to lives being changed for all eternity. And Paul and Barnabas' lives were changed, as were the lives of those that they were going to minister to. In Acts 16, it says this, verse six to 15. Paul and his companions, they traveled throughout the region of Persia and Galatia, having been being kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. Think, Spirit wouldn't let them? Huh, but they were doing a good work. What's going on? So they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. You're not gonna get past the Holy Spirit when he resists you, trust me. Uh, during the night, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, 
We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Toraz, we put out to sea and sailed straight for that place, Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Her name was Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And if you consider me a believer, she said in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. She insisted. Lydia's conversion is a beautiful conversion. Paul gets, Paul gets a vision of a man from Macedonia, from that city, the vision, a man begging, come and help us. And he shows up, and he's down by the river, and what, do he, what does he do? He ends up ministering to a bunch of women there, not a man. Isn't it interesting? But there was a voice from the Holy Spirit that said, I don't want you there. I don't want you there. I'm, 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 I'm not letting you go there. Have you ever had that? You ever had the Holy Spirit? You know, I should do this. No, I don't know if I should do that. Am I supposed to do that? No, I'm not. no, no. And or... You wonder why there's blockades, or you wonder why there's things that it just doesn't work out. It's like, hey, it's time to pray. If you haven't prayed already, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? You see, he'll get you to the right place at the right time with the right people because he knows exactly what he's doing in helping us fulfill his will. This Lydia was a very, very wealthy woman. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Who bought the purple cloth? It was rolled to people who had a lot of money. It was quite a process. They were, this dye, this purple dye was made out of, from, from mollusks in the sea. It wasn't like a plant-based thing. It was a big deal. It was a bit of a process. And so she made lots of money doing this. And she obviously had a, a big home or a mansion and she had property and she had space and she insists that they come and be with them. It's obvious that she was running her own house. Either she lost her husband, she was a widow, or whatever she didn't, we don't read, we don't know for sure, but she didn't inquire of her husband, we should have them. She didn't inquire of her father, we should have them. No, she just went for it and had them. You see, so what happens? What happens when humanity listens and obeys the Holy Spirit's leading? He will resist our good ideas so that we land on God's ideas. He will resist our good ideas. We have good ideas. And then there's God's ideas. Because we want to be in the perfect will of God, okay? And we want to be apprehended by him. We want to be willing and open, instructed by him. And so the Holy Spirit directs, directs us to those who will accept his message, the gospel. I believe that with all my heart. I, I believe that he, he helps us do that. We don't know who's gonna be saved and who isn't, but he directs our steps. The Lord opens hearts for people to respond. I don't open, you say, well, you don't you know, open the hearts. No, God is at work through grace and through his love, and he knows who's hungering. He knows who's thirsting for these things, okay? And so the Holy Spirit directs us to those who will accept the message. The fledgling church, not only did, did the Lord open hearts to respond, not just Lydia, but her household, 
but also the fledgling church in Philippi was planted in her house, the first church there, and, and in her house, in this great big house that she has. And um, they start establishing and building the church there. What it tells me about my life and what I want to encourage you about your life is don't wait for people to come to you. Go to people. Don't wait for people to come to you. Go to people. Be led of the Holy Spirit. You see, when that happens, when, when we listen to the Holy Spirit directing us, lives are changed for all eternity. You all have a testimony, you have a story. You know the people that God placed in your path. I had people placed in my path I did not know at all from Adam from before, and then all of a sudden, in my journey, God made sure that those people were in my life to say this, and they were all divinely placed. Some were there for a long period of time, some were just, um, I think of one in particular, eight hours, 12 hours. Really? Yes. Go and look at that story a little bit deeper. God has a plan to change lives. In point number three is, and we pick up in Acts 16, 16 to 19, this one's a little harder. Humanity exploits humanity, God doesn't. Humanity exploits humanity, but God doesn't. It says in Acts 16, 16 to 19, three verses here, it says once when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting and prophesying accurately, by the way, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. It's accurate, isn't it? It's accurate didn't come from the Holy Spirit, it came from an evil spirit through this girl, this woman. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, not the girl, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They got in trouble <laughs> for casting this demon out of this girl because now the owners aren't gonna make any more money from her and so the whole city gets thrown into upheaval and these guys get thrown into prison. Satan will always Satan, your adversary, the devil, will always exploit you. He always exploits people. He always robs people. Notice he robs their identity. God doesn't. He gives us a name. He's called us by name. But the devil comes to rob identity from us. We don't know. This girl is called a slave girl. This girl is owned. She's exploited, she's taken advantage of. She's, she, this is all motivated by the greed of those who own her and they take advantage of her for what her abilities are, they utilize for their own gain. That's evil. Exploitation is always evil. It's wrong. 
It says that she had the spirit of divination, known in Greek as the Python spirit, like Apollo, the Greek god of prophecy, foretelling the future. This is only an unclean spirit, but a demonic spirit. The original Greek words translated spirit of divination literally means a spirit of Python. Therefore, false prophecy coming from demonic sources is unclean. Just like counterfeit money is dirty money, it works, it'll pay the bill, but you'll be caught. You see, the devil only comes to ensnare and to enslave. But it just so happens that humanity gets in the mix and gets in the way and begins to exploit people. People exploit people. God doesn't. Selfishness and greed are, the, are, are at the heart of exploitation. It's that need for control that humanity has that need for you to control them to get what you want. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor, you've made a huge leap here. Now you're saying that it's possible that maybe my humanity might exploit someone that I know and love? Is that possible? It's possible. It's not the same kind of, it's still exploitation. It's still greed, it's still selfishness, but it's at this, this so-called more mature level, apparently. Ah. No, it's our humanity that's getting in the way that God wants to perfect because what happens is we are in the process of being made holy and sanctified and we don't wanna get in the way that robs people. You know this whole thing about identity. I was sitting in the car at a grocery store waiting to pick up my son, and I had his son, my grandson, in the car. So I was kind of there. And I see a young lady. And she has a banjo. Some of you may have seen her. And she's singing. She has a really nice voice, and she knows how to play the banjo. And she's got a little bucket where they're throwing the money in when they go by. My wife says to me, oh yeah, I've seen her. And her owner is making sure that he gets the money. Hmm. There's a test for you and I. It's called a heart test. What is your attitude toward the weak and the vulnerable, the poor in society those whose identities have been stolen, what is your attitude? That's a good heart test for you and me, you and I. Because it helps us in, in all of our relationships because me saying the potential of your humanity exploiting someone you love, taking advantage of them, controlling them for your own personal selfish reasons and gain is very much a potential in our humanity. We, we've done it. We've done it. It happens in, in areas of codependency. It happens, happens in those things which we're oftentimes not easily aware of. So it's not, it's not like, oh, bad you. I don't know about you, but I want to be holy as he's holy. And so sometimes you get into disagreement because that person that maybe you're controlling bites back. You got to look in the mirror. 
and say, did I cause that? Lord, help me to see what I can't see. Expose my blind spots. I don't want to. I want to do that. But man, you know what? If we have a bad attitude, it's a heart test, you know? Well, you know, they're homeless, you know, but it's, they're drug addicted, you know. They, they, they won't even receive the help that you give them and all that. Listen, there is a road. That, that person, that girl I'm talking about, <laughs> she was a cute little baby one day. Just came out of the womb and she was nursed at her mother's breast probably and she had a name and now she doesn't even have a name. What's her name? I'm making money from my boss in a lot of different ways. These things should absolutely break our heart. And here it is right in the middle of scripture. And yeah, there's demonic things that are tied within it and there's human things that are tied within it and we're the restorers. Somebody say amen. We walk in the ministry of reconciliation. We get to come and bring the reconciliation of Jesus Christ to people. We get to do the happy dance that stomps on the injustices in our humanity and in our society. And the answer is, in your relationships, in mine, in our communities, in our culture, in our city, in our church, it's this. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's Bible. That's Bible. That's all in the book of Acts. You say, well, I thought you'd be talking about how they cast that demon out, how great that is. We need to go cast demons out. Yeah, you do. And you will in the name of Jesus. But our whole perspective and attitude needs to change toward people. Our humanity is flawed. Our flesh has a problem called sin and we gravitate to sin. That's why Jesus died for us, to make a provision for our sins to make us holy, for us to learn what is holy, for us to walk in holiness, to be conformed to the likeness of his son Jesus in all of our relationships. This is a happy, happy scripture, guys. This is so cool. Identities get to be restored. You get to restore identities. God bless Bonnie and Brian and the work that you guys are doing. Wow, with the union. You know, people are being robbed of their identity, of their gender, and these guys are coming along just saying, no, just hold on a minute. God loves you and he, he knows you personally and you have a value. Your value is way beyond your sexuality. You're a human being created by God for his purposes and we love you. Let's be part of your healing in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Isn't that what we're called to? Restore identities. God has done it through Jesus. We get to be carriers of this beautiful, glorious healing ministry. Wow, that's who we are. Ah, that's who we are. Happy dance. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And I think this is my last point, whatever. Number four, it's a great day when humanity escapes its prison. Somebody shout, yes! It's a great day when humanity escapes its prisons. You say, well, Paul and Silas, they get, throw, they get, they get just utterly flogged. It's not funny. They get beaten, their bare backs with rods, thrown in prison. That's what we're going to talk about in a minute. They're in prison. 
But that's not the end of the story. Look at this, Acts 16, 23 to 26. says, Paul and Silas, okay, they're arrested, okay? They're arrested for casting this demon out of this no-name slave girl. This, this girl is being used. So they get thrown in jail, starting in verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and, fa and fastened their feet into stocks. Get them right into the, the most secure place. We're gonna lock those guys away. We're in control. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Boy, you gotta read between all the lines here what's being said, it's powerful. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. The foundations of the prison were shaken, natural, supernatural, in the natural and in the supernatural. God, God, God heaven invades earth at, at once. I never saw this before. All the prison doors flew open. Not just Paul and Silas's. Like I knew, you know, like uh, the jailer was concerned about everybody getting away, but I really had thought about it. All, all is all. All the prison doors, flew open. I looked at a couple different versions. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And when humanity escapes its prisons, there's transformations that take place. Okay, this is a supernatural work. And here it comes out of prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. Part of what that tells me is this morning, when me or you, you or I, better English, stand here today or maybe in our shower singing this morning, praises to God, things move, things change. Because we're acknowledging the God of heaven. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. There is something supernatural and powerful that happens in the lives of people that are all around you. People you won't even know. But you see, you are breaking the sound barrier. You are declaring into the heavens your testimony of your trust and faith in God. And you are moving on behalf of people all over there. You say, well, no, wait a minute. You still are preachers of the gospel for sure. Okay, because if you go on further here, okay, um, there's transformation. It says in Acts 16, 29 and to 33, it says the jailer called for lights. Well, what happened just prior to that is that he's gonna, he grabs his sword. He's gonna kill himself because he figures I'm gonna die anyway because I've let all these people go. They're all getting away. So he, Paul yells, don't do it. Don't take your life. There is life for you. Wait a minute. So the jailer believed that. He says, calls for lights in the dark dungeon. He says, and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you see the result? They replied, no, say, well, that result, that's only in the book of Acts. False, false. This is now. Your praise and prayer does this now. But if you're in a prison, even if you're in a prison, get out first. Praise and prayer. Get out through praise and prayer. So you can help others out. He, he said, they, he said um, 
he asks, what can I do to be saved? She says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now each one of them had to, each, each member of the household, just like, just like uh, the lady in Th- from Thyatira over there in Philippi, okay, Lydia, every member of the household had to make their own decision, okay? She was, she was a Gentile and she really liked, you know, morality and Judaism and she, she, she really liked a lot of, she liked monotheism and stuff, and it said she were, but she wasn't born again. Open, he, God, oh, the Holy Spirit opened her heart. The Holy Spirit opened this man's heart, raided, and they spoke the word of the Lord. You can't not speak the word of the Lord to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. It was transformation right away. And he took them, he washed their wounds, and immediately he and all the household were baptized. Who was really incarcerated? <laughs> Paul and Silas were just in the jail, in the inner jail, in the inner cell. And, and they were just physically bound. They were just physically bound by men. But that does not hold back the work of God. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't for a moment. So what impact does prayer and praise have all around us? in the lives of people. The story tells it. You see, prisons don't cause you to shake. Your God-directed grateful praise causes them to shake open. Praise opens the door to the gospel. Praise and prayer opens the door to the gospel. You praying, you praising, you worshiping. The true worshipers is always ready to preach the gospel. Why? Because it's God they love and serve and, and, and their, their true worship to God is accompanied by, and, and by the confidence, the grace of God, the gift of God, and they just give it all to him and it's not about them and it's about everybody else and God uses them gloriously and they begin to preach. They're ready to preach because they, they, they preach it in song and praise to God. That's their confidence that they live out of. Your worship delivers you from prisons and secondly, it delivers others also and it causes transformation. Wow, this is all in the Bible. Trish, or Asia, Trish, gang, why don't you guys come up here? I need to wrap this up. There's an answer to humanity's insanities. (laughs) There's an answer to humanity's insanities. What's insanity? Well, It's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. (laughs) Let's not do that. (laughs) But Paul shares in Athens the hope for humanity. And he's there in Athens and he, he finds out that they just like, they like sitting around all day talking about ideas. So, he starts telling them about the resurrection. They're like, resurrection? So he's getting to something. He's getting to the resurrection of Jesus. They give him audience. They pull him into this place and get everybody around. And he begins to preach the gospel, the hope for humanity to them. So many people today are just listening to the latest ideas. And then you and I get to bring the God idea, the gospel. It says you have an inscription here to an unknown God. 
Let me tell you who he is. Man, he was wise. He just, he just didn't bowl them over, you know, and, and bonk them on the head. He just came to them as people, human beings who didn't know and were lost and they were wise in their own eyes. They had a lot of knowledge, but they did not have the knowledge that could save them from their sins. said to them and I leave this with you today he said I'm going to proclaim to you guys in Athens here today the God who made the world and everything in it this is verse 24 the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else and from one man, Jesus, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Hear me. Hear what the word of the Lord says today. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. though he's not far away from any of us. Or your kid, your uncle, your spouse, your neighbor, your coworker, he's not far away. Would you stand with me, please? I'm gonna have these ladies lead us in a closing song and then I'll come back and pray your humanity's on the table it is regardless but it's on the table let God deal with it in Jesus name